It's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. Yeah. Uh, this is the Bikini. Boy, this mission didn't last very long, Whatever did it? What do you mean, Bikini? You can't be serious. After you overloaded the shields and fried the amoeba, we lost all systems that were life support. We've been adrift in space for days with no shields, no long-range scouter to a, a, even attempt to point ourselves in the right direction, and we've received no incoming communications basically since we started this mission. We could get crushed by an asteroid or punctured by a, or even a tiny piece of space debris and be sucked out into the vacuum of space. There are clearly enemies who are jamming our signals, so I don't even know why we're pretending we're doing this podcast, and we're probably both going to die this time. I admit, things have looked better for us. When? But we're members of the Frieza Force. We're elite warriors. We're on one of the flagship vessels in Lord Frieza's fleet. I have faith we will find a friendly face sooner than an enemy. Based on what? Aren't we specifically supposed to be outside the normal jurisdiction where we might find typically friendly faces? Aren't we supposed to be exploring untapped areas for recruits? Take a breath, recruit. I can't. We'll run out of life support if I do. The blackness of space will envelop us. We're doomed. I can't. How can you be so calm? I said take a breath, recruit. I... (sighs) Okay. Are we just going to sit here and wait for death or what? That is our lot and so be it. We will leave behind a record of our journey and our deaths. If they happen, we'll be avenged. Our names will last forever as the Frieza Force wipes those who would dare harm one of our own from this very plane of existence. As soon as we started this mission, we became immortal in that way. There's nothing we can do to better our current situation. So, just breathe. Whatever will be, will be. Queso syrup. Queso syrup? That's another Earth saying, I think. Ah, yes. Another saying you shouldn't know from a planet you've never been to or seen that you don't remotely understand. Right you are, recruit. It's one of the great mysteries of the universe. Like how you look revitalized every time you escape certain death. That wouldn't be a mystery if you'd let me explain that I... And speaking of leaving a record of our journey, as I alluded to moments ago, I think it's time we delve into this week's topic. And this week, we'll be hitting up episodes 15 through 19 of the anime, which is basically the training mini arc. Yes, the training arc. Um, so essentially, this starts off with an, uh, an episode centered around a new character named Launch, who, as we learn shortly after being introduced to her, uh, switches personalities and hair color every time she sneezes. She goes on a rampage, robs a train, uh, starts getting chased by the when she's found by Goku and Krillin on search for, on their search for a, a peachy peachy gal. They show up, they beat up the cops, they decide to kidnap and traffic this woman for the men. Uh, they bring her back to the island. Master Roshi 
pretty happy with who they've brought back for him, decide that he's going to you know, take them on as pupils. Um, then he learns that Launch was uh, being followed by the police and decides that they need to amscrape before the fuzz get on their tail. They decide to relocate their kidnapper or their kidnapped victim to a new location so as she can't be found. Roshi packs up his house into another convenient capsule. Uh, they head to another island. That This one's a little bit more popular. It's got a small village on it. Set everything back up, and he goes about starting to train Krillin and Goku by doing some very... Very odd things like delivering milk, teaching them not to get stung by bees, having them swim through shark-infested water, and, of course, doing all of this while wearing a giant turtle shell. Just, you know, standard martial arts stuff. This goes on for about eight months. All the while, they keep the woman in captivity, having her, you know, cook for them, clean for them, whatnot. Uh, until eventually, they're, you know, uh, in, enrolled in the uh, Budokai Tenkaichi. That's, that's a way to explain it for sure. with their little thing uh in episode 19 when they when they go to the uh tournament they're given they're gifted suits by i believe it's is it launch that gives it to them yeah the 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 two suits yeah yeah and these suits that they're inspired by the movie knockabout starring sammo hung they also resemble those worn by yakuza typically in the 60s so it's probably just, you know, Toriyama playing with contrasts and opposites again. Um, you can see, you know, two sweet boys dressed as, you know, playing at opposites again. Tournament itself is held on a place called Papaya Island, which is modeled after Bali. It's generally accepted that Toriyama, like, took a trip up there in around 1985 and um, used his pictures as kind of like a frame of reference for this place. And you can tell because it's it doesn't yeah. look like any other place that they've been in the show at this point. And what, we're going to talk more about the tournament itself in our next episode and some of the key pieces of, of the architecture and stuff that we start to see towards the end of that 19th episode. But, you know, we're going to, we're going to spin back to the beginning of this in episode 15 and talk a little bit more about launch because, um, you know, she's a pretty interesting character, you know, like we, like we've said, and for anyone who's coming to us for the first time, what our philosophy always is, is to talk about, Talk about something that's a little more immediate now while it's in front of us versus a character who will be around a lot. Like we've skipped over Bulma and we're now skipping kind of over Krillin because Launch is here and Krillin is here, you know, much later than than Launch is. In, in... And Launch won't be with us much longer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Launch is modeled after a girl who appears at the beginning of the Jackie Chan movie Wheels on Meals. We'll try to post a pic on our social, but you know if you just search that phrase, you'll find it pretty easily, and you'll be like, oh, there she is. Uh, in Japanese, her name is Ranchi, or Ranchi, which is the Japanese approximation of the English word lunch which fits into all the food puns that Toriyama makes. However, Funimation, when they're doing the dub, names her Launch. So why would they do that? Oh, Ranchi, or Ranchi is also the English, English approximate, or the Japanese approximation for the English word Launch. So, so Funimation is temp- attempting to keep that A in her name when they're anglicizing it, but then this confuses the fandom as to what her name actually means because she is in fact to prone to launch into violence but oh oh, i see what you did there yeah see but while her english language dub name and the name that we then are referring to her as is launch the intent was definitely lunch you can see her name printed on a motorcycle on the cover of chapter 26 of the manga and it says lunch although it's partially covered by her legs it still definitely says lunch also, in the second Dragon Ball movie, which I know those aren't canon, if you get into things like canon, but the, the second Dragon Ball movie, Sleeping Princess in Devil's Castle, she says at one point that people jokingly call her Itadaki Ranchi, which is a combination of her name, Ranchi, and the Japanese phrase, let's eat. So people call her, let's eat lunch. Furthermore, in a guidebook, one of Toriyama's assistants calls her lunch. So, of course, though, unfortunately, Toriyama himself is very little help in clearing this up, as when he's asked, he says, quote, I can't remember. It was probably something or other. 
thanks a lot, dude. Always, always a man that really pays attention to the details. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's he's also never clued us in as to whether her good side or her bad side is her normal personality. Nor has he commented much on her inspirations. The violent persona, though, is somewhat similar to a Dr. Slump character named Polly Buckets, who always has a gun and is ready to start blasting. And we've seen Toriyama repurpose some characters from Dr. Slump into Dragon Ball, so it's possible he liked that character and he just tweaked her for this by making her more violent, whereas Polly Buckets is a good guy. This kind of also explains why Launch always has a gun handy whenever she transforms into the violent version of herself. Polly Buckets always has a gun. The The other thing that I was thinking about too, even though we don't quite see it a lot from launch is, are you familiar with the concept of hammer space? I can honestly say I am not. Okay. Hammer space is a, it's a fan invented way of explaining whenever a typically animated character pulls something out of a bag that is bigger than the bag oh, space. Okay, I gotcha. They could do it they could do it either out of a bag or from behind a a lamp post or from off from a panel off screen or like Roger like, Rabbit when he pulls like a giant mallet out of his pocket. Right. Or like Bikini when he says he wants to pull out any amount of cash he needs no matter hey. the amount. <laughs> <laughs> Callback. That's that's Hammer Space, and the term is originated from the manga or anime Ranma One Half. It, it comes from their fanfic community, and it's largely a result of one of the characters, I think, Fanon, who just is perceived to always pull a hammer out of nowhere. Got it. And then when fans played that up, the anime played the hammer portion of it up even more. And so now, like, hammer space is a widely accepted term in manga, anime, cartoon communities to describe whenever what a character is reaching into whenever they pull something out that they shouldn't have. <laughs> nice. I learned something new today. <laughs> so, do we have any thoughts on launch? Is, you know, do you like her? Do you dislike her? Uh, I don't know if she's around long enough. For me to really form a solid opinion. Yeah. Now, how do you feel about Toriyama basically <laughs> just forgetting that that she exists? And uh, it seems pretty on brand for him, yeah. honestly. That uh, I I mean I do I do like the character. I like that it's 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 very much like early Dragon Ball, where even like your your underused. Uh, supporting cast have like weird abilities. I could see it maybe being useful in some contexts, but it's mostly just used to like punish Roshi for being a pervert, which I'm also fine with. So fans, fans come to realize that that Toriyama has possibly forgotten about her when Toriyama introduces Marin, Marin, the the blonde, not blonde, the blue haired girl that looks kind of a bit like a, even bustier Bulma as and is the one that dates Krillin for like a week yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Fans are like, why, why wouldn't you just have her him date? He, him be dating launch. And Toriyama's like, Oh, launch. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That other female character. Um, did you, do you remember that? I don't remember this, that apparently launch has a, a romantic interconnection with TN. It's it's kind of like hinted at. It's I don't think it's ever like outright stated, but I think it's at the end of the second tournament, if I'm remembering correctly. Tien's kind of found and made friendly to the to the group. I think it's implied that she goes off to chase after him when he disappears into the wilderness. I guess to go training or something. I guess I I don't recall this. <laughs> it's like it's like literally like one line. Another character states. <laughs> because launch isn't even there to say it herself. And then and then her last appearance in any format really is she makes a very brief appearance in Dragon Ball Z in the Boo arc when Goku is asking everyone for their energy. We see Launch raising her hands up in the air to give him some energy for the spirit bomb. 
Well, I mean, at least we know that she survived chasing Tien out into the woods. Yeah, and she has like a so there's... she has like a food truck company now. Also, to be fair, that's the anime, so it's very possible that Toriyama had no idea about that. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I don't. Yeah, I I like I kind of like the character. I think it's a fun it's a fun gag. You know, like it's kind of playing on I think this perception of like. And I could be way off on this, but I get the feeling it's kind of like the idea of the, uh, a woman perceived a certain way in public. And you'll notice that like a lot of times when she goes out in public, she's the blue, her blue haired self and she's very personable and very nice. But then when she's at home alone with the guys at switch flips and she becomes a monster. Now that you mention it, that that yeah, she's ve- she's not super often that we see her. Blonde. In, yeah, the only time the only time she's ever the evil launch public that we see, I think, is when she robs the train. There's another moment later, uh, during one of the tournaments. I th- it might be the second one. It might be later in this tournament, but I think it's the second one. Because that's where you know you're talking about. That's the last time we see her. She's in her yellow hair mode, and they are all like, "I can't. We can't find anywhere to like sit to watch." The matches, you know, we're not going to be able to watch. Oh, that's right. She fires yeah, off the gun to and, clear people and out. And she commits a public shooting. And <laughs> Probably. That one didn't age very well. Let's no, just put it that way. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's it's a fun gag. I, I like it. But yeah, she's just. Just not I, much I else to the character. I don't I don't know that I ever need to see that character again, you know? Yeah. I I would I don't think I need to see her anymore. But um, I wonder if it's a commentary on domestication, like calms down wild women or something. So that's launched. It's just something to talk about. Let's talk about the next piece of the puzzle of these this batch of episodes, which is the training Shugio, as it's called. So in these episodes, Goku and Krillin undergo what they call their Shugio or their austere training. Uh, before we get the concepts behind Shugio and the metaphysical aspects of Goku and Krillin's training, we'll just briefly want to talk about how um, the training itself that they undergo is pretty unorthodox, kind of like how I hinted earlier. Uh, for Western viewers, it probably bears familiarity with the Karate Kid, you know, wax on, wax off, paint the fence, sand floor. Training via not being aware of training, but there's really never been any life corollary to this methodology as a primary training method. Certainly many athletes have uh, stated that they practice their skills in like other sports or in other aspects of their life to help them refine their own. But nobody ever gets good at baseball by, for instance, chopping wood all day. Right. So this unorthodox trainings without training, if yeah, training without training, I guess that's a good way to put it is due to Toriyama's fascination with movies wherein his, this type of non-training is more commonplace. Uh, Shugan is inherited from the Chinese concept of Xiulian, I think is how it's pronounced which means something close to refinement through drilling and fire. So it's basically a concept that by tapping into your internal crucible, you can forge yourself into a refined piece of strong metal through drilling and repetition. The more drilling and repetition, the hotter your crucible, the more perfected and strong you become, essentially firing out the impurities and imperfections of your body and your soul. Shugyo is more of a discipleship than Shulian, with, uh, but the general idea of cultivating the mind and body through hardship is is pretty much the same between the two of them. Uh, this training is more than just drilling. For one thing, Toriyama doesn't so much show us uh, that by undergoing this difficult physical training, they're undergoing psychological, mental, and spiritual changes. That's implied in the name Shugyo itself. Um, as we move forward, we'll probably just lapse into calling it training. Just for those of you out there, it's just easier for us it's just a word on the top of our head uh but for now we'll we'll keep saying shugio to just kind of like help reinforce that just to note the more spiritual connection and emphasize that it's not only a physical strength these boys are doing but also uh, a spiritual as well in order to move stronger and faster than humanly possible one has to tap into their key or their internal energy and learn to control and manifest it and how and when tap into it um, similar to how a mother can like, you know, lift a car when her children are in trouble. Uh, it's it's quite like figuring out how to tap into that at all at, at will, essentially. Roshi's training is so do or die that it trains Goku and become masters of themselves through emotional and spiritual means, even as it trains their physical bodies. So that the hardships like being stung by bees, 
being chased by sharks is supposed to make them tougher emotionally and spiritually as well as physically. Yeah, it's it's not enough to just train physically. You have to be pushed to the brink mentally and emotionally as well. That's how these concepts are a little bit different than just martial arts training, you know, drilling, just punch, punch, kick, punch, kick, kick, punch. That's why we're saying shugyo so much we we like like bikini said we'll probably just eventually at some point lapse back into just saying they're training uh, but it's it's their shugyo and, and this idea is influenced by buddhist and taoist ideals and are perceived actually as a path to enlightenment you know when we talked about roshi we mentioned that a taoist monk leaves behind all attachments to become one with the Tao. And this concept is central behind Shugyo as well. A master shows you the gate and he shows you the path, and that's the discipleship portion. But it is up to you to walk through and embrace the Tao, embrace the nothingness and the emptiness in order to attain mastery of these things. That's why why Goku is such a natural at this, aside from just who and what his character is, as we've witnessed so far, and as we know about him as later on being a Saiyan, and those sort of ex post facto explanations. The Go Kanji in his name is the same as the Wu in Sun, Sun Wukong, and it has this connotation of enlightenment and awareness of the nothingness. So Goku, as we've discussed, is aware of his truth, and his name itself even means aware of the emptiness. He's already passed through the gate of nothingness, emotionally and mentally, but he still needs the Shugyo because while his innate abilities make him predisposed to cultivation, he requires a master to show him the path. Anyone can undergo Shugyo, no matter their level of expertise or predisposition. Contrast that, that idea of like anyone can do it, anyone can train with the i with this western and especially with christian beliefs you know in shugyo in buddhist thought in taoist thought you're cultivating yourself you're bringing enlightenment under your own control christians maintain that salvation is accomplished through christ you know they say through him all things are possible but there's no path to heaven no path to salvation that does not pass through jesus Taoists believe there are over 3,000 paths to enlightenment, and Buddhists teach there are something like 80,000. There's no one shugyo, there's no one system, and there's no one way to achieve enlightenment to the higher planes. Martial arts training just happens to be one of them. As a brief aside, we talked about Journey to the West with Sun Wukong cultivating himself. He's doing it through martial arts training and battles. But Xuanzang, the, the monk is going down a more traditionally studious studious and spiritual path, right? He's he's on a spiritual quest for enlightenment by trying to get texts and scriptures and things and and learn more about about the 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 faith. Uh, they both become Buddhas eventually, but they achieve it through totally different paths. As long as each person takes ownership of their internal cultivation and purification, anyone can achieve enlightenment through any of a wide variety of means. Dragon Ball, just obviously because of it being a battle manga, focuses on martial arts. And the working theory, speaking again about Journey to the West, is that martial arts began in India and are initially seen as brutish, anti-Buddhist, but over time, they adopt more Buddhist methods towards cultivating their skills, and Taoist students take up martial arts as well, and perception kind of softens somewhat. Uh, eventually, they become intertwined with these two religious systems, and the cultures become so intermingled it has kind of like a give-and-take relationship on all sides. Uh, martial arts uh, become seen as austere and important for those who can calm their minds and control their emotions properly, and Buddhism becomes slightly more martial uh, kind of like, you know, like that give and take like we're talking about. You can become a Buddha via martial arts cultivation as Sung Wukong does and battles you closer to enlightenment. Buddhism may be pacifist by nature, but by defeating demons both internal and external, battle can bring one closer to enlightenment and to kind of pivot to Taoism a little bit here, make a person one with the Tao. And you can see how this informs uh, so much of who and what Goku is as a person as he goes through these different battles that he faces. 
always giving his enemies the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't cultivate his martial arts prowess to beat up po opponents. It's more to improve himself. He assumes others do as well, uh, or at least should anyway. Um, this is why he doesn't go full out unless he needs to and why he always wants to fight everyone when they're at their best. He doesn't want to hurt or kill anyone usually. Uh, he's not looking to, to you know, hurt them or, or, or uh, just physically dominate them. He's looking to master himself and beat his previous self. Uh, it's important to note that it's never solely physical or mental or spiritual. If you want to master yourself via spiritual cultivation, you must have enough physical mastery over yourself to study yourself, calm your body, and have physical control uh, so you can truly hear your internal self. Likewise, if you choose the path of martial arts, you need to cultivate your mental and spiritual faculties as well, tying into the concept key, as we mentioned briefly earlier. Um, it also goes without saying that the challenges have to become increasingly more difficult. This is key to Dragon Ball's ever-escalating plot. Goku has to face more and more difficult threats in order to improve. Right, and that's, you know, you mentioned Goku doesn't want to kill anyone. He doesn't looking to beat anyone, usually. That's where, when those things happen later on and we'll see them, that's why they are such big deals because it, it kind of goes contrary to like everything he believes kind of. So yeah, so the, the big difference between Shugyo and a vocation, like what we see in Western society, is that Western teaching is linear. Linear. You learn a bunch of things about a bunch of things to take you from A to B to C to D, and then you're, you're more or less done, like you graduated. Even if you approach something a little more esoteric like the arts, you're introduced to theory and basics, and it's rare that a person approaches their craft with a singular eye on one specific part of it. You might become a violinist or a composer or a pianist or whatever, but you're likely going to study some musical theory either way and probably also some technical aspects, and you'll also dabble in composing and playing, etc., etc. Shugyo, on the other hand, is very specific and cyclical. You're not on an arrow path from A to B to C. You can pick up at any level and skip some and train differently. You're on a spiral staircase with each step along the way comprising the ABC of it all. And then the next step is also ABC and so on. We, we come to see a lot of this in Dragon Ball Z and then even beyond in Super where Goku or Vegeta or Gohan skip certain steps or transformations and are still kind of at the same physical fighting level as you know, whoever they're, they're either competing with or each other. There's no one right way to wind up becoming Super Saiyan Blue, as we see in, in Dragon Ball Super. There's an infinite number of paths, or, you know, 3,000 if you're a Taoist, right? Or 80,000. Yeah. For you Buddhists out there. <laughs> this is this, this is the cyclical nature of undergoing Shugyo in order to improve, in order to overcome an obstacle, but with different paths. It's just another piece of how Dragon Ball is always continuing. The story never has to end because there's always a new path to overcome a new obstacle. That's something that I think Super has really played into. This ever-increasing challenge and the harder the path, the greater the victory, whether or not you win, it's, it's because you've pushed yourself. So you're pushing yourself to never-before-imagined levels to attempt victory. You win whether or not you win. This is one of Roshi's key lessons to the boys. One of the few times he actually re-explains something to Goku. And something that Goku, once he understands it, he very much internalizes it. You know, Roshi tells him in a very simplified way to help this naive boy to understand, cultivate yourself. Train for the sake of it. Do this and you will live a good and happy life. Only fight if you must. And Goku's like, oh, I get it. The light bulb goes off for him, and he takes it to heart. The, the idea of battle always excites Goku, but not for the battle itself. It's because he wants to test his training and see how good he's become. This is like how he differs very much from a traditional Western superhero. Like Batman or Superman, they'll emphasize for sure that fighting isn't what makes them great, and, you know, their battles aren't aren't the true path to victory. They'll say things like that, but ultimately they're kind of 
out looking for it. They're out to find a fight. They're out to at least find a situation that could potentially lead them to fighting. Goku, in his free time, he's not looking for good deeds to perform. He's not looking for anything that'll run him across evildoers. He just wants to train. He wants to cultivate himself and just get better. He learns from Roshi that winning and losing are way less important than making sure you never lose sight of yourself. That's why he's always excited even when he thinks he might lose, or in the case of Cell later on, knows he probably will lose. He wants to see if his cultivation is paying off and if he'll be able to keep sight of himself even as he's being pushed beyond his previous limitations. And there's a there's a really good example of that in the manga as well. Um, it's like right after the Frieza saga, right before the androids show up, and Trunks is telling everybody, hey, these androids are coming. Bulma says, well, hey, we'll just use the Dragon Balls and keep them from ever showing up. And I think it's Goku, Tien, and... I can't remember who the other character was. I'm thinking it was either Piccolo or Vegeta, but I'm not sure. They all they all like immediately rebuff that with like, well, no, we want to we want these guys to show up because we want to see if we can beat them. Like you just like <laughs> this guy came back from the future and told us there's fighters coming that we literally can't beat. Of course we're going to test ourselves. Right. Yeah, and it's it's because Goku doesn't really ultimately often care if he wins or loses. That's we're going to get into it. I'm sure when we come across. Vegeta, but that's the big difference between Vegeta and Goku is Vegeta's self-worth is tied to his vict- his ability to win. And and as kind of like a, a really good highlight of the difference between the two of them, when you look at, at uh, specifically early Dragon Ball, whenever Goku loses a fight, he's never even usually upset about it. He just kind of like moves on with his life and, and continues to work getting stronger Whereas when Goku finally beats Vegeta, like it eats away at him for a long time. Yeah, until it reaches a pretty horrific boiling point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, even even you know, God, it's hard to even say that Goku defeats Vegeta. You know, and we'll we'll talk about that more when we get there. But yeah, he's he is battered and beaten, and he knows if he hadn't had some help, he would have lost that Vegeta was better than, but what's like the last shot you see of Goku in that arc is he's laying on the ground with his body battered and beaten and he's smiling. Yeah. And then he's telling Krillin to spare his life. Yeah. Because he wants to fight Vegeta again someday. Yeah. Cause he wants that final answer. Would I, would I have won if I fought by myself? Right. And, and can I improve myself to the point where I, could beat this guy who's that much stronger than me so yeah it's it's a pretty interesting concept you know i I like the i like the idea of contrasting it to like even stuff in the arts right and how we approach it of like yeah you might end up becoming a pianist or a violinist and you might even start off at being six years old and being like i like that thing there what is that and someone's like that's a guitar you're like oh i like that thing but you're gonna you're going to, you know, pick it up, play with it a little bit. You're going to then take lessons. You're going to learn musical theory. You're going to probably learn how to play other instruments. Whereas the more Eastern thought of it would be like you being like, I like that thing. And someone being like, all right, here, now play it until you get good at it. You know, like <laughs> here, relearn everything we know about musical theory on your own. And here, you know, strum, strum, strum a single string 10,000 times until you perfect strumming this string. Now then strum the next one, you know, like it's just a very I, different mindset. I mean, the thing that springs to my mind when I, when I'm talking about these concepts is um, the Japanese, I don't know if it's like a philosophy or if it's more like a religion, but Bushido, that, that devotion to something until you perfect it essentially. Mm-hmm. And it can, and it's, it can literally be anything. Like if you want, if you pick up a broom and you decide this is going to be my thing, I'm going to become the best sweeper in the world. Like that's a totally legitimate application of it. You just devote yourself to becoming the best you can at something. And I think that also ties into, because obviously you need like passion to do something like this. And it, it's also kind of exemplified in the the Shugio that they go through, where it's incredibly difficult. But then he's he's also like essentially, 
you know, giving them cinder blocks to carry around with this basically what this turtle shell is to do even the most mundane tasks to the point where just doing these mundane tasks requires 100 percent focus and 100 percent consciousness of what you're doing at all times. There's no free space in their brain for other thoughts. There's no free space in their brain or, or, or their body to, to do anything else other than their training doing it. And I, I feel like that kind of ties into – have you ever heard of the concept of being in the zone? Yes. Particularly in like sports, but I've also heard of like uh, like musicians, actors, um, like you know a musician uh, that's doing like say improv and they just are really feeling it and they get into it. They, they, they talk about like being in the zone. Actors that uh, are really kind of in the scene and they really understand the character talk about the same thing, kind of just – Everything else, all the other distractions, everything just kind of fade away, and all all of their focus and passion is on this one thing that they're doing at the time. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, if you, if you really think about it, you've probably had moments like that in your life, right? Where all concept of time and outside interference of any kind just like fade completely away. And you become. I, I mean, I know I've had that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think most people in in our community will probably say, "Oh, yeah, I've definitely lost like weeks of my life playing a video game." You know? Um, yeah. And that's that's I think something that that resonates. You know, when you when you start to explain it in that way, that that needs to be when you're performing shugyo, when you're really committing to this, this method of training, that needs to be your your thought at all times you need to at all times be fully committed to and focused on that task yes i agree 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. so that's so with that said if you could perform shugyo if you were allowed if 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 you were i'm gonna say it two different ways and you can answer both of them. We can maybe take turns, whatever, if you want to. Unless you have one answer. I think I just have one one answer. But say when you're Goku and Krillin's age, right? Around 12 years old. Or the age you are now. And I won't embarrass either one of us by saying what that is. <laughs> and you're doing something and it's something you enjoy. Because that's... the Goku and Krillin do both enjoy martial arts before beginning this training that's they have an innate ability to it and they enjoy it so you're doing something that you enjoy and that you have an ability for and an affinity for and the master of it comes to you what is that thing when you're 11 or 12 that you would pursue that master if they you know presented themselves to you the, the same way that Roshi and Goku kind of happen across each other. So younger me would probably have gone with either John Romita Jr. or Todd McFarlane, and it would have been art, definitely, 100%. Uh, older me has since spent a lot of years not doing art <laughs> <laughs> and doing other things. I think current me would probably pick uh, Matthew Mercer, the DM for Critical Role, and just study under him to become the absolute best Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master I can be. Yeah, you're a big D and D guy. I'm a big We've nerd. Never yes, that on here. <laughs> we're we're both nerds, so <laughs> that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I'll say mine. I think is the same for both, honestly, because it is it is something that I used to for sure used to enjoy for sure used to find the challenge part of the fun and now the more i do it now the more i wish i had way more time for it and and it, it would be it, i would i would totally follow stephen king as my master and go with with writing and creating fiction i have so much fun doing it the more i learn about the craft the more I really, really like it and really respect it. I wish I had way more time for it. Um, what little I do have, I spend on 
certainly not planning or writing out any of the things that we say at any point during our biweekly episodes. <laughs> this is, these are just I, our... I was going to lob out a rhetorical question and be like, Jelly, have you ever written anything before? <laughs> the, these are just our our ordinary conversations that we're having. Yeah, totally. But no, uh, uh, so that's, I, I do a little bit of writing. I have actually written a novel once. I've never released it or anything. I, I, I need to eventually I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it is, it is something that, you know, the more I've done it and the more I do it, the more I'm like, man, if I could, if I could really make a living off of doing this, I would I would 100% walk away from everything else. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's funny because there's definitely people who are like, oh, well, I'm sure everyone would do something fun like that if they could. But, like, no, re- not really. There's some people who are like, yeah, man, if I could do anything in the world at all, I would farm. I would ride horses i would play football i would uh there's some people who are like if i could do anything in the world i would sell stuff to people because i'm good at it and it's fun and i like talking to people and interacting with them there are people like that sure know a few of them myself yeah i'm i'm not one of them but <laughs> <laughs> um, i mean there's oh, here's, here's, you know there's, here's there's a good question um have you ever found yourself in the zone while writing well oh 100 percent you know, I've, I mentioned yeah. in one of our episodes, and now I can't remember if it got left in or edited out, but I mentioned, you know, Stephen King's book on writing, and he talks about finding the story, you know? And I, I very, very much remember I was, like, writing something, um, and I was off on this. I don't want to say it was a tangent, but I was off on a on a flashback on one of the characters and just writing something and writing something about, about one of the characters about their past. And all of a sudden it just hit me where the next piece of like the plot had to go. And I just started writing it. And I mean, I got 15 pages of, of writing in and I lost complete track of everything else. Nice. And it, it's, I'll say it too, it has happened in my work life, honestly. And my work life is pretty boring. Charts and sheets and reports to Lord Frieza. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I, I was, I was a desk jockey for a while. So yes, I can, I can concur. There are some days where you'll be working away at something. You look up at the clock and you realize, oh wow, it's already done. Yeah. So how about you? Oh, I've definitely had a few sessions that uh, I would run for friends and stuff where everyone gets really into their characters and, and uh, I'm playing a, an NPC that I particularly like. And the improv that goes back and forth is is sucks you right in. And then the next thing you know, it's already been like three hours and I have to, you know, call a break or, or end the session for that week just to <laughs> just to. Uh, have more time to create more, more content for them to play. So yes, it has absolutely happened before. Yeah. And that's, that's like when whatever you're doing is at its best. Yeah, I agree. You oh know? yeah, definitely. And anything, I mean, even I would say there's very few exceptions. I would say like the exception is like, <laughs> have you ever, have you ever gotten into such a groove with, with like you get a little snacky <laughs> and you, and all of a sudden you've eaten like 4,000 calories and you don't even remember having eaten it? Oh, yeah. I, I've done that. In uh, a, a perfect example is like when you were talking about video games earlier. I, I sit down and play a game with friends or something and, you know, we'll sit down and the next thing you know, like six hours has gone by and half of us are like, oh, man, I haven't eaten yet today. <laughs> and you get like into such a groove of eating that you eat way too much. And you didn't even taste it. <laughs> it's just it's just sitting in your stomach, and you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel I've been awful. there too." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even enjoy what I just ate. Dang it! <laughs> the, the other the other way I experience that a lot in my life right now is I uh, I I work out a lot these days, 
And I've definitely gotten into grooves with working out where I've been like, especially I do a, a day where I literally just do push-ups and pull-ups. And it's push, push, pull, pull, push, push, pull, pull. And that's all I'm doing the whole time. And you get into this, I did 50 last time. I just did 51. I just did 52. I just did a 53rd one. And now I'm doing pull-ups. And I just did an 18th. And I just did a 19th. And you get into this like, you're, you, it's the easy, it's one of the easiest workouts like a, I do. like a high. Like when yeah. I used to run all the time, that was a big thing for me. I'd get like, like the first 10 minutes are like warm up and then you get into a groove. And then the next thing I know, I'm like miles down the road and I'm going, oh, wait, <laughs> I should probably yeah. turn around and go home. <laughs> and and it's also, it was one of the easiest workouts to do where you could really see your, your progress. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that's a really good, that's a really good kind of segue a little bit back onto Dragon Ball on this is... You know, Roshi hangs that dangles that carrot out for them of and that's a really funny scene too. When he's like, If you can move this rock, I'll teach you martial arts and Goku's like, This rock? And he pushes it and he's like <laughs> No, not not that rock. Anyone could move that oh, rock. I meant I this rock. I didn't mean that one. <laughs> uh but it, it gives you know, it gives them a goal to strive towards. And yeah. and that's a great that's a great moment. I, I really like that. That's there's some really good moments in these in this batch of what is it five episodes or so with that kind of stuff with you know there's some great humorous beats and there's some like I really like the moment when they're walking up the mountain and Roshi is smoking his pipe and Goku's like this is so hard this is like the hardest thing I've ever done and Roshi's like I remember your grandpa Gohan used to do this all the time. And he just like, my grandpa used to do this and gives him that, like <laughs> that story feeling of look. being close. Yeah. yeah. Feeling of being close to his grandfather. That's a really great little moment. And you also see Krillin start to come around towards the end of these episodes. He has that, I forget which episode it's in, but he has that moment of like, you know, they'll not make fun of me anymore type of thing. And it, he starts to, cause he's introduced as like this wily rascally enabler of Roshi just to get whatever he wants kind of person. Yeah. But as he under, he's kind of the character we see the most undergo a emotional and spiritual change from this training. And that's, uh, you know, Goku's the flat character. So Someone needs to be there to have an arc, and in this case, it's Krillin. And at this point in the story, I'd say that's his either third or fourth character that he's done that to. Right. <laughs> because when you think about his initial contact with Bulma, it's very antagonistic, and he eventually wins her over. Uh, you think about his initial contact with uh, Oolong, same thing, very antagonistic, and then realizes he can't beat Goku and decides to just go along with him. Same thing with Yamcha and Puar, and now with uh, Krillin. Right. It's it's already been established as a theme for this character. Right. So, yeah, that's uh, this is a cool little, like, mini arc. And this is also really our... This is, like, our transitional arc. You know, this is... This is where Toriyama is slowly transitioning us from being purely gag based and gag driven to being battle. And, you know, we see the characters in more actiony situations striving towards a goal. And this is, this is the, the moment where Dragon Ball kind of pivots. Well, would you look at that? You and I just talked for a while without you once throwing a fit and collapsing upon yourself. So this whole episode was just a way for you to get me my mind off of things? Not just that. Mine too. I need to be occupied as well. We all do better with a task to perform. How do you feel? Angry. Angry at you. Angry at you for tricking me. Angry at me for being tricked. Angry at me for thinking you would do something normal. Angry at you for not being... But no longer full of dread and terror? Son of a bitch. Look! What's that? This is a, a, a shadow has just fallen over us. 
It has eclipsed our ship and cast us into darkness. It appears to be vaguely in the shape of a ship itself, although we cannot tell if they are in docking position or attack position. It's got to be attack position. The blast is from the sky, and that'll be it. Nah. That's all you got? Nah? Four things. One, I wouldn't kill us so soon after crippling our ship. In fact, I'd probably just wait us out and then commandeer the ship and steal our tech and whatever useful body parts we wow. find. Wow, you're sick. Two, if I was going to just blast us out of existence, I wouldn't announce our presence first. I'd never even let us know we were coming. And three, it looks like their cargo bay doors are opening. They're probably sending someone out to see if we're alive or if this is just scrap that they can salvage. Scrappers? You think these guys are scrappers? A minute ago you thought we were dead, and now you're going to be picky about how we're saved? But scrappers? Gross. You know they all smell like cabbage, right? I don't know what cabbage is. It's a leafy vegetable that smells really unpleasant. Well, be that as it may, we'll take our leave of you here, listeners. Will I ever learn what cabbage is? I just it is. And hey, what was reason number four? What? You said you had four reasons for thinking we weren't under attack. What was number four? Will I ever pay attention to Bikini? Will this turn out to be a mercenary team that comes aboard merely to slice our throats, harvest our organs, send a message of pain and blood and declaration of war against the Frieza Force? What? Will I tell Bikini what reason number four was? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 